You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. I think every person has asked themselves that question, what can wash away my sins? Maybe not in those terms, but something similar at some point in their life. They've asked themselves this question, how can I get past the junk that's in my past? How can I escape the shame and the guilt of that decision that I made or that one thing that I did years ago? What can wash away my sins? And so in this series, This Is My Story, we've asked the question, what would it look like if we started over in our story of faith as an adult? What would that look like in our lives? For many of you, and I've heard your guys' stories, you know, it was a parent that took you to the church growing up, and there you were taught, this is what we believe. And so as a kid, you had, uh, you had all these beliefs going on that you were taught. Somewhere you were taught that you need to pray to God to forgive your sins. There's beliefs that maybe, that maybe some people have heard where you have to, you have to incorporate, a church taught you, you have to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into every single prayer that you do every single day. There's beliefs that say that, that, that uh, uh, you have to say a daily routine, uh, these daily routine words over and over and over again to be forgiven of your sins. Maybe you were taught that every time you sin, you have to pray and ask for forgiveness again. But then you grew up, and you got older. And when you get older, the sins get bigger. And they come with shame and guilt attached to them. And then you find yourself living your life many times just hoping that nobody brings up that one weekend... That nobody says something about that one decision, that one thing that I did, that bad decision I made with, that mo- with, with money. Uh, so you have this guilt, you have this shame that follows you around. And so you ask the question, what can wash away my sin? What can wash away my shame, my guilt, and even my memories? So we try not to think about that person, or we try not to think about that place, or we try not to think about that problem, and I see so many people nowadays, and, and you guys have seen it too, where people, they give in to alcohol, and they give in to drinking because that's the only way they can numb that pain. That's the only way that they, they can deal with that, that, that problem. Some people over-medicate their problems, and maybe you guys are here today, and maybe you're wondering, is there something that I can do? To not think about this anymore. Is there something that I can do so that I can escape this thing of the past? You know what's interesting? There are some times in our past that are, there are some things in our past that are easy to forget. And if you ask my wife, that happens a lot. So there's some things that are easy to forget. And have you ever turned to your spouse and you're talking about the good old days when you first met and like, 
your wife seems to be able to bring out all these memories and events that happened that the men long forgot about. Like it just, it was just gone. I mean, my wife remembers like the date when we first started like officially dating. And I'm like, man, I remember the anniversary. That's, that's, I got the wedding anniversary down. That's all I got. Like that's all most men can remember. We have so many memories that are so easy to forget just because time happens, life happens. And then we have some things we'll never forget, like your wedding. You have some things that you'll laugh at now. They weren't funny in the moment, but you'll laugh at them now. And then there are some things that will never be funny. They'll never be funny. It's not something you can look back and actually say, ha ha, that was, that was a good time. No, they'll never be funny. There's those things that follow you around like a cloud and you just can't escape. So what do you do? What you do is what most people try to do. They try to bury it. They try to bury it in the sea of humanity. Well, you know, nobody's perfect, and since nobody's perfect, it's not a big deal. They make excuses, don't they? We make excuses. You know, when I was young, I did this. I was stupid, or I was drunk, or I was lonely, or I was broke, or I didn't know better. We make these crazy excuses, and the, the thing about these excuses, the crazy thing about these excuses, they don't make the problem go away. We still feel that shame. We still feel that guilt. You can make excuses all day long, but nothing can make that past Go away. And so the core issue that we're really talking about this morning, the key issue is the issue of forgiveness. The issue of forgiveness. Many people were trying to discover the way to, how do I forgive myself? And truly be done with this thing. Truly be done with this thing of the past. Truly be done with this thing that I dealt with, that I went through, this decision that I made. How do I forgive myself of this? How can I be done with this? So that the next time I see that person, or the next time I go to that place, or the next time those memories come flooding back, I can say, no, 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 that doesn't bother me. That doesn't affect me anymore. I'm forgiven. How do we discover that? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, okay, Caleb. Like, you're going to give me some answers, but if you're going to give me some answers, I don't want any kid answers this morning. I don't want little, little, you know, like children's ministry Bible answers. I need some adult answers this morning. How do I deal with this guilt? How do I deal with this shame? I need something real. You know, as adults, and we're all adults in here this morning, we know how to fix the future. Cody disagrees. He's, he's just a big man chap. We know how to fix the future, don't we? Just don't do what we already did again. Don't do what we did in the past again. That's how we fix the future. But the question today is really, how do we fix the past? How can I fix the past? What can wash away my sins? We see that every faith tradition and system offers a solution to this dilemma, to this question right here, what can wash away my sins? But we see only one man that lived that says, hey, it's not in traditions it's not in systems. I am the solution to the problem. And a person that says that is either a lunatic, is either a liar, or maybe, just maybe, he knows what he's talking about. And we need to listen up. So we're going to look at the book of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 1. 
Mark chapter 1, one of the four Gospels. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to begin reading verse 5 in just a minute. And then we're going to read in John a little bit later today, the book of John. But in John, we see John, the author of the book of John, tells of another John. He's telling, John's telling about John. And this John has a nickname, and his name is John the Baptist. Not because he's a Baptist, obviously, but because he's doing something no one has ever done before. He's doing something that no one has ever done before. The Jewish people here that are, that are seeing him, that are listening to him, they knew about ceremonial washing. They were familiar with it. Because every year they would go into the temple and before they could enter the place that was closest to the Holy of Holies, they had to wash themselves. They had to become as clean as possible to come to God. And so John here is doing something that no one has done before in their time. He is physically immersing people underwater. He's baptizing them. And so because of that, all these people have come out to see what he's doing. They've come out to see this guy, John the Baptist. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Mark chapter 1 verse 5 says this. This verse right here is just going to lay out the rest of today. It's just going to introduce us. It says, And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. Now the first thing we've got to understand about this verse right here is this. It's an exaggeration. It's an exaggeration. There's no way that all the country of Judea and all the countrymen of Jerusalem came out. You're talking about a lot of people. This is an exaggeration. This author, John, or this author here, Mark, what he's saying here is there were a lot of people. Everyone was out there. It's like, that's like what we would say today. Everyone came out. Everyone was there. It just means a lot of people were there. We see a lot of people come out because John is creating some immense interest. Not just a few dozen people, not just hundreds of people, we're talking thousands of people. Thousands of people are coming out, and they're not just coming out, they're not just making this little short trek outside the city. They're traveling 40 miles to hear John, to see him speak, and to see him baptize. And we even see in the works of Josephus, who, if you're not familiar with him, he, he's the, he, uh, he, did the, he wrote the works, the main history of the work of that era right there. And if you're not familiar with that name, get familiar with it, because we see in the history that Josephus gives, he mentions John the Baptist. We see Muhammad even mentions John the Baptist in his works, in his writings. Why do I tell you that? Because he was a real person. He actually existed. He's not just a Bible story that we overlook so many times and think, well, he's just a a made-up character. No, he actually lived. He baptized people, and all these people came out to see him. And we see with all these people also came the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they come out, and they begin to think something about John. They begin to think, this guy could be the Messiah. This could be the guy. He's drawing a crowd. People are coming out to see him. So we need to go see him ourselves. We need to go ask him some questions and find out who he really is. And so I want you to imagine this. They go out there to the place where John is at. He's baptizing. He's teaching from the water. And thousands of people are lining the water side, this huge line. The the sun is beating down on them. And they're standing in this line for a long period of time. And finally, they get to the front. And the question that they ask John is this, John the Baptist is this, who are you? Who are you? 
And we see that John gives them an answer. And the answer they really don't like. They kind of feel like John's blowing them off a little bit. Like, you know what, here's your answer, go away. And so they ask a a really more specific question. They ask this question, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And that's what we're going to pick up the story in John. John chapter 1 verse 26. John says this, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. The guy you're talking about here, he could be right here in this crowd, and you don't know him. You have no idea who he is. Thousands have come to hear me, but there could be the the man that you're talking about, the Messiah, could be in this crowd. We don't know. He could be here right now. All these people are coming out to see me, and you think I'm important? No, no, no. The one that you're talking about, the one you're looking for, he's really important. I'm nothing compared to him. He even goes on to say, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes or tie his sandals. And this was a common phrase that they said back then because it meant, what it really meant was, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. He goes, you think I'm big? You think I'm a big deal? No, no, this guy that you're looking for, he's way bigger and he's way better than I am or will ever be. We see that days pass I want you to understand this. John did this every single day. He was baptizing. These people kept coming out. He was baptizing. He was teaching. He was preaching to these people. We see that this one day he's preaching, and man, he's on fire. He's on fire, man. He's preaching with strong, and people are becoming convicted, and they're repenting of their sins. And while he's in the middle of the preaching, all of a sudden it says in verse 29, it says this. All of a sudden he goes, Behold! I mean, he screams it out. He's, he's sitting there. He's probably making a very good point. And all of a sudden, he just, out of the blue, behold, just shouts it out. And it just stuns the crowd. They're like, whoa, whoa like, what are you talking, what, what's going on? He just started yelling and pointing at somebody. He yells, behold, or a better word for us to understand is look, look. And what does he say? These shocked people are looking at him, and he goes on. He says, the Lamb of God. Could you imagine what the people are doing when they hear this? He says, look, the Lamb of God. Or a better translation would be, look, the Lamb that God sent. And these people, growing up in a culture where they sacrificed lambs, began to look around for a lamb. They're like, what are you talking about, John? There's no lamb here. Behold, look, a lamb. There's no, where are you pointing here? Do that again. Let me see where your finger's pointing. Like, is there a... They don't see any lamb. Like, John, there's no lamb here. What are you talking about? There's no lamb here. We've talked about this the last couple weeks. In their culture, they sacrifice lambs. They've done this for now 1,500 years. And when he says, look, the lamb that God sent, it brought to their minds the sacrifice of a lamb, something that they have done on a yearly basis for as long as these people could remember. They would go and they would sacrifice this lamb. They would take a lamb that was, that was unblemished, had no spots, and they would kill it and drain every single drop of blood out of it. And then they would sacrifice as, as a covering of their sins. But even when they did that, they knew this. The people understood this, that the animal's blood had no equivalent to human's blood. 
They understood that even though they were doing these sacrifices and God commanded them to sacrifice these lambs, these spotless lambs, they knew it was no equivalent for human blood. And through these 1,500 years, this process that's been going on, God was trying to teach them that every time you sin, something has to die. Every time you sin, sin always equals the death of something. And they knew this from the Old Testament because they read in the Old Testament, they understood the Old Testament. It said an eye for an eye. Every time someone sins, there has to be an equal payment. It says a tooth for a tooth. They understood this. They understood that, you know, but since God isn't going to let us kill a man, we sacrifice an animal to say, you know what? We deserve to die, but we're thankful, God. We're thankful that you allow us to sacrifice an animal which allows us to use the blood of an animal, that you would allow us to do that. They understood. But they knew it would never be an equivalent. It would never be the same. The blood of a human is no equivalent. The blood of an animal is no equivalent to the blood of a human. And John says right here, he says, Look, the lamb sent from God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to understand something right there. When it says takes away, it literally means to pick up and carry away. To pick up and carry away. And he says this, the lamb sent from God to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. What does that mean? It means the Jewish sins. It means the Roman sins. It means America's sins. It means European sins. It means your sins and my sins. When John says this, when he makes this statement that we know is so powerful and we know is so true, the people in the story, they completely miss it. They completely miss it. They have no clue what he's talking about, which is really sad. Because in that crowd, we know Jesus is there. The Son of God is there, and they miss it completely. They're more concerned about, hey, you know, that's great, John, but can I get baptized now? Oh, the Lamb of God, oh, that's, that's awesome. So cool, John. Hey, man, I've been standing in line all day. Can I still get baptized? They were more concerned about that. They completely miss what John is talking about right here. And we see at this moment in this story, <clears throat> the ministry of Jesus begins. His three-year ministry, we see throughout it that Jesus leaves breadcrumbs, can't even talk today, leaves breadcrumbs here and there. He leaves them all over the place through his three years of ministry. Really, and what it's doing, these breadcrumbs telling us that there's more to what John said than even we realized. There's more to what he was saying right there. Look, the lamb sent from God to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. We're missing something there. We've overlooked it. And these people overlooked it the same as many do today. Because we see years later, Jesus comes to the end of his ministry, three years later. And one night he gathers his 12 followers and they go to a room. And they go to celebrate. They meet to celebrate Passover. And we talked about Passover last week. God commanded them to celebrate Passover. And just a quick replay on that. We see the first lamb is killed 1,500 years before where God commanded them to, to kill this lamb and to paint their door frames. And then we see the angel of death comes over Egypt and the door frames that don't have the blood, the angel of death enters and we see the firstborn dies of that, that household. 
And we see after that event, the children of Israel are freed from slavery that they'd been in for 400 years. And so they celebrate this. They celebrate and know that and understand from this that they are to trust God. And now they've been free for 1,500 years. They've been free from slavery. And so they've come together, these 12 followers of Jesus, and they meet to celebrate. And we've got to understand the situation here. The the disciples, they have celebrated Passover as long as they can remember. They've celebrated their whole lives. It's a key part of their lives. And we see as they sit down, Jesus says this. In the past, I know you've celebrated the Passover to celebrate things that have happened years ago. But what Jesus tells them is this. But from now on, but from now on, I want you to remember me. You guys got to understand something in that scene, and they don't really, we don't really get it out of scripture. This was offensive to them. For Jesus to suggest this was offensive to these 12 men. That would be like me standing up here the week before Christmas and saying, hey guys, this year, instead of celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want you to celebrate my birth. So you guys have a great week. Enjoy the holidays. Hey, happy Calebmas. Now we chuckle and we laugh because we know I'm joking. Jesus wasn't joking. Jesus wasn't joking here, and they were stunned. And he goes on, in the past, you've taken this bread. This bread now represents my body. And you've taken this wine. This wine represents my blood poured out for you, the lamb that comes to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. We see that night, Jesus is arrested, and all 12 of those courageous men disappear. They're nowhere to be found. And then we see Jesus is beaten, and he's crucified. He's crucified. And I want you to catch something. We see that the New Testament writers tell us something here. There are things that we see in Scripture that most people, they just see it and they go, you know, that's kind of irrelevant. It doesn't really connect with the story. It seems a little unneeded or it's just extra details that we really don't need. They were just being very descriptive. We see John three years earlier when all the people, when so many people have missed this, John three years earlier proclaims, look, The lamb that God sent to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. We've got to understand something about crucifixion. Crucifixion was not a death by beating. It wasn't. It was a death of suffocation. They would either nail your hands and feet to the cross or they would tie your hands and feet to the cross. And what would happen is as you're hanging, your body weight is hanging down. And when you have all that weight hanging down, you can't lift your diaphragm to take a breath. And so what these men would do is they would push with their legs and pull on whatever was holding to the cross and lift so they could lift their diaphragm and take a breath. And then they would let go and they would hang again. And the next time they could build up the strength, they would do it over and over and over again until finally they died of suffocation. It was an agonizing death. It was embarrassing death. They would take you and strip you half naked, put you on these crosses, and many times they would put the crosses at the intersections of roads so people could walk by and more people could see you dying. 
the Romans were a little bit different. They would put a platform underneath your feet. And what that would do is that would prolong your death because you now had the strength of your legs. You had something to push off of. And it would just stretch out the agony you were going through because you were able to breathe just a little bit longer and go a little bit further. We see with Jesus that day, even the Romans had their breaking point. They're like, you know what? We're done. We got stuff to do. We're busy soldiers. And so they would go around and they would break the legs of these people being crucified. And we see in this story a detail that seems irrelevant. But when the soldiers come to break Jesus' legs, he's already dead. He has already died. Many of us, we don't think much of that, but we need to understand, how did Jesus die? Jesus that day died of blood loss. From his beatings, from the crown of thorns, he bled every single last drop of blood. He bled to death. I want you guys to catch this. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that came to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. John points it out. He sees it even three years before Jesus is even going to die on the cross. Even before John even knows, he, he sees it. The Lamb sent from God. He knew he was going to be a sacrifice from God. What can wash away my sins? Maybe if you've tried and you can't do it. You've tried and you can't do it. You've tried the route of alcohol. It doesn't cover, it just distracts. It never carries the sins away. We see 20 years later that a man Saul shows up on the scene and he hates Christians. He hates them so much that he makes it his job in life to go around and wipe out Christianity completely. Can I tell you this? He gets close. He gets very close. But we see one day on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus face to face. And it's such a transformational meeting that he becomes a Christian himself. Later, his name is changed. He's known as the Apostle Paul. And we see he writes to a church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That word trespasses is better translated sins. Paul says he's forgiven you all sins. Paul, what, what do you mean here? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to tell us? He explains in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt. Every single time, every single one of us, when we sin, it creates a debt. It's the reason we're here today. This thing in the past that you can't get free from, it's like a cloud following you. It's a weight weighing you down. And the reason why it weighs you down is because it's real. You have a debt. You owe God. But you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Debt has been canceled. His blood was spilt to pay for sin. What can wash away our sins? What can wash away my sins? 
you don't have to forgive yourself. You've already been forgiven. This morning, if you want to spend the rest of your life trying to, to overcome this shame and this guilt that you're struggling with, this game and this, this shame and this guilt that of that one weekend, of that one thing you did, of that one relationship, that's your business. Go ahead, do that. You can look to religious systems for advice, but only one person said it's not a system. It's not a tradition. I'm the solution. Jesus, if he were here today, would say to you, when I died, your debt was canceled. You don't have to forgive yourself. I already did. I already forgave you. For some of you, You believe there was a time where you asked him to save you, and he did. He saved you. But this morning you're here and you're saying, Caleb, this all sounds great. I've been with you the whole time. But what about the memories? What about those memories that keep coming back? I'm still haunted by these things of my past. Every time you think about that sin, all you hear and all you tell yourself is condemned, denied, guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm a horrible person. I'm no good. That's what we tell ourselves. But Jesus says, from now on, from now on, instead of those situations in the past being reminders of your guilt and shame, they've been left there for a reason. They've been left there for a reason. As much as you would love those memories to be gone, as much as you would love those those decisions to disappear, they've been left there for a reason because they're a memorial. They're a memorial of God's forgiveness, of God's grace and his love and what he did for you and me. Not to be a memory that ruins everything in the future, but to be a statue, a memorial reminding us of the cost of the sin that was paid for and Jesus' love for you and for me. Maybe this morning, some of you today, you've never viewed your past like this. It might take a while, but these things will remind us of exactly what he picked up and carried away for you. That's why he leaves them. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus paid for Paul's sins. Peter's sins. Even after he denies Jesus three times, and Jesus even tells him, you're going to deny me. No, I'd never do that. He denies This blood, it covers that sin. And that blood paid for your sins and for my sins. You don't have to carry these things the rest of your life. Other religious systems will say, hey, do this, do that. But Jesus says, trust this. I paid for your sins. When I spilt my blood, for you. You shouldn't condemn yourself because he doesn't condemn you either. 
The question that you need to answer today is this. When was that moment when you accepted and received the forgiveness of your sins? When did this happen for you? I didn't say, when did you go through that class? I didn't say, when did you have that moment where you were all warm and tingly and fuzzy on the inside? That's not what we're talking about here. When was that moment for you when you asked him to forgive you of your sins and you believed that he meant what he said? You believed in your heart because the Bible tells us if you ask, he'll forgive you. And once he forgives you, your sins are washed away. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. That lamb that you sent for us. God, my prayer this morning is that none of us here this morning would miss that message. We wouldn't get so focused on what we want to see happen. Hey, John, I just want to get baptized, man. I'm not here for anything else. Jesus, we're not here just to plant a church. We're here to see people know you. Let us never miss the most important thing. God, I just, I thank you for how great you are. I thank you for how you speak to us. God, I thank you for Jesus and his willingness to go to that cross. He had a choice. He had a choice. We see it in your word. And he was still willing to go and be that sacrifice for us so that we could have a right relationship with you. God, we thank you for that. We can't thank you enough. Lord, we love you. We praise you this morning. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.